0: You know that I worked a lot in intelligence and for more than 30 years and therefore had access to lots of information. So where do I turn to now that I'm so-called retired? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. you us listening to Canadian Intelligence, a eh? podcast about terrorism and national security issues. There's no easier way of putting this or better way of putting this. But when I worked in intelligence, whether it was in SIGIT, signals intelligence for CSE, Communication Security Establishment, or human human intelligence. When I worked for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, I was like a kid in a candy store. I had access to some incredibly interesting, challenging, important, fascinating information from all kinds of sources, and I was one of a you know rather large handful of Canadians who had the requisite security clearance to see the information, to read it, to process it, to extract the intelligence, and to inform our policy and decision makers. But what we're finding out. And every day was great. Every day was different. Whether I worked in foreign intelligence, which I did at CSE, or worked in security intelligence at CSIS, this information was truly incredible stuff. And I consider myself to be one very lucky Canadian to have been granted access to that for more than three decades. However, uh, as my listeners know, I no longer work in that particular venue. I am so-called retired, although retirement doesn't seem to fit my what I'm doing very much these days. And as a consequence, I don't have access to intelligence anymore. I don't have access to classified information. What I do, therefore, rely upon is open source information. And there's good open source information, and there's not so good open source information. We all have heard about disinformation, misinformation, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, when I talk about terrorism, national security, I try to go to sources that I think are good sources. They either have been corroborated or they're written by people who know what they're talking about. A few months ago, I came across a website. It's called Militant Wire. I'll put the in the you'll get a link in the show notes. And without any word of exaggeration, this is one of the best sites I've come across in terms of understanding terrorism worldwide. More narrowly, usually Islamist terrorism, which, as I've been trying to convince people, is still the dominant form of terrorism on the planet. Right wing extremism in the West notwithstanding. And I've been a a religious follower. I don't know if I can say that, religious follower, if I'm talking about jihadis. I've been a religious follower of Militant Wire ever since. And I have promoted it on Twitter and on Facebook and on LinkedIn. When I dug a little bit into the background of Militant Wire, I was gobsmacked that the person who founded it, he's a co-owner and the editor of Militant Wire, lives in, wait for it, of all places, New Brunswick, Canada. Now, I'm not going to diss New Brunswick, Canada. It's a great maritime province. But I'm pretty sure most people would not think that a, an individual from Maritime Canada would have created a website that is one of the top in the world when it comes to Islamist extremism. And therefore, I've invited the co-owner and editor of Militant Wire, Lucas Weber, to my podcast. He's also a researcher focused on geopolitics and violent non-state actors to the podcast. So, Lucas, thanks for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thanks for having me on, Phil. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate the kind words.
0: Now, first questions are obvious, Lucas. What in heaven's name gave you the idea to create this militant wire website in the first place?
1: Uh, militant Wire was uh, it, it kind of developed organically uh, over time uh, since its formal launch in September of 2021. Um, a couple of colleagues and I, uh, Tom Lord and the weapons researcher War Noir. Uh, we often discussed amongst ourselves topics uh, relating to terrorism, insurgency, and uh, other types of political and criminal violence. Um, So we each have um, different backgrounds and areas of focus. So we'd come to each other for uh, assistance on things we weren't so sure about or didn't have each other's expertise in. Um, So, And and we were also each writing independently at the time. So uh, we started discussing the idea of forming a joint platform. And once we established it, it expanded again. And we started to bring in, uh, we started to bring our networks together and started publishing work by researchers other than ourselves. And it has really just been growing from there.
0: I noticed in the most recent, the, the Weekly Militant Wire that just started coming up, I believe. I just received my copy today. You cite, for example, Raffaello Pantucci, who is a very good friend of mine. In fact, I interviewed him last week in Singapore, and he'll have a podcast with me as well. How is it that, you know as well as I do, Lucas, that there are a lot of websites out there that purport to be the source for things like terrorismism, extremism. We, Of course, we have the ICSR in the United Kingdom. Peter Neumann is affiliated with that. We have CSIS, not the Canadian CSIS, the Washington CSIS that's been doing a lot of good work. The Center for um, the CEP, Center for Extremism Program, I believe, in Washington. What is it that makes Militant Wire different then? Um,
1: Well, we kind of fit a niche of news and analysis on violent non-state actors as a whole. Um, But... uh, in addition to being a niche, it also has a global scope and uh, a broad appeal as we study um, uh, all kinds of armed terrorists, insurgents, and criminal groups. And we formed a, uh, a wide reaching international network of researchers who um, bring together their own perspectives and expertise to the platform. And one of the things that we kind of have been going for while objectivity isn't achievable in reality, we make an effort to avoid over-editorialization, and we put out fact-based analysis that ultimately presents content for our readers mm-hmm. to form their own conclusions about without forcing politics on them.
0: Right. I mean, you know, we all have inherent biases. My, my inherent bias, which I have, make no bones about it. don't try to hide is my, my focus is on Islamist terrorism because a I worked in Islamist terrorism at CSIS for 15 years I've written six books on the topic so I don't apologize for being for focusing on that I, I do notice though that in the so you say September of 21 so you're coming up on your first year anniversary first of all congratulations on having it around for a year or so thank you uh, I do notice that you do pay a lot of attention to Afghanistan and within Afghanistan Of course, it's been a rather turbulent year in Afghanistan with the Taliban retakeover uh, almost exactly a year ago. You talk a lot about ISK, which is the Islamic State Khorasan province, which is a affiliate of ISIS, which kind of resides or has its, I guess, its strength in the eastern Nangarhar province. And a lot of the military wire pieces seem to talk about ISK. Can, Can you shed some light as to why that particular terrorist group has taken up a lot of your time?
1: Um well I think uh when we publish about it other people who study it also want to write about it and publish it with us but personally um I find it interesting because in many ways the global as you know the global war on terror uh began with some developments in Afghanistan and right. there are continuing in, er, there are indications that elements present uh, present within the country will continue to pose a threat to um, countries outside of the AFPAC region. It's just a question of who. So um, my my primary interest has been in uh, transnational terrorism um, and related militant propagandists and er, uh, militant propaganda narratives. And particularly following the US withdrawal from Afghanistan and the Taliban's return to power. The growth of the Islamic State Khorasan province's media and communications apparatus and the uh, marked regional and international expansion of its organizational vision uh, has really caught my attention.
0: Now, the other thing I've noticed, though, in other reporting, of course, is that the Taliban don't like ISK and vice versa. I believe I read in Militant Wire a week ago or so some of this isk propaganda you just referred to the isk thinks the taliban are apostates for having dealt with you know maybe talking to the americans about possibly freeing up some of the finances they just saw a report that the Amer- they've actually negotiated a potential deal where the us will unfreeze funds that are you know going to help afghanistan avoid a famine uh they've given the taliban ship for accepting international aid And i remember the piece you wrote outlined you know, all the reasons why international aid is, is haram, is forbidden under Islam. Do you really think that ISK, and you're right, the, the propaganda arm certainly has been very, very busy, but given the, I would say, inherent animosity between the Taliban and the ISK, despite the fact they're both Islamist extremists, but I would also use maybe an analogy would be Al-Qaeda versus ISIS in the mid-2010s, where even Al-Qaeda said that ISIS was being too brutal to people. Given that the, the Taliban, there's no inherent interest for them to allow ISK to operate. In fact, ISK is attacking Taliban forces, whereas with Al-Qaeda, there's a long-standing relationship between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Do you think that uh, with the Taliban having come back to power in Afghanistan, of course, ISK was attacking the former Afghan government before that happened, do you think, and this is perhaps an unfair speculative question to ask you, do you think that ISK is going to have a hard time fending off attacks from the Taliban, uh, given that they, they, the, the two groups really, really hate each other.
1: Uh, yes, and I think you're already seeing the Taliban. Um, uh, what the Taliban wants to do is they're, they're trying to, to uh, they've, they've transitioned from a long-time guerrilla organization that was once in power, and they've returned to power. And now they're transitioning into a um, a government. And now the Taliban finds itself in an interesting position because now they have to conduct counterinsurgency. Right. And um, the Islamic State, Khorasan province, is um, one of their main threats. And um, so what the uh, Islamic State uh, looks to do is – As part of their overall strategy, they have a media warfare component and a kinetic militant component. So um, ISKP looks to undermine, discredit and delegitimize the Taliban um, by saying some of the things you just mentioned, portraying them as soft and basically like a a Pashtun-centric nationalist movement rather than a true religious movement.
0: Right. Right. So uh, ethnic-based versus faith-based then.
1: Yes, and um, they also do focus on, um, and what has caught my attention and what I've written a lot about is how they frame the Taliban's diplomacy and foreign right. relations. Right. So they're trying to frame the Taliban as friendly to or puppets of foreign governments and worse states, the Islamic State views as enemies of Islam. So.
0: The other group you've written about recently, which I want to sort of talk a little bit more, because it isn't is well known, I think, in the West, outside of a limited scholarly circle, is the Turkestan Islamic Party, the TIP. Yeah. Uh, the most recent piece, says, you know, you've written, they're active in, in Syria and Afghanistan. Uh, this is a, a, a party that's been around for a while and is particularly unhappy with the Chinese. Now, there have been links historically, correct me if I'm wrong, between the TIP and the old ETIM, the East Turkestan Turkestan Islamic movement uh, that was functioning in Xinjiang province in probably the late 90s or so. Can you walk my listeners through exactly what TIP is, what kind of threat they pose, and where they they fit into this whole picture?
1: Uh, Well, the Turkestan Islamic Party... Um, I don't really want to wade into the ETIM debate and whether it exists or not. Right, yeah, yeah. It some kind of uh, predecessor. Well, it it could be a kind of... uh, Basically, people will say that they are the successor of ETIM, and TIP emerged in the late 2000s. Well, it really emerged in the late 2000s, and they started... um, uh, making videos threatening the Chinese government, threatening the Beijing Olympics, and then um, you started to see closer links between the, the predominantly Uyghur Turkestan Islamic Party mm-hmm. and Al Qaeda after the um, the Urumchi riots, in which there were there was um, uh, it's a long story, but there were co- there was uh, basically conflict between uh, Han and Uyghurs right. and. So after the after the riots and the crackdown uh, by, the, by the Chinese government al-Qaeda began to uh, be more vocally open about their support with them and their ties to them and some um, TIP members are they are also dual members of al-Qaeda and other groups okay. in the region. Okay. So um basically uh, since the Taliban took over um it, the TIP's branch in Afghanistan, because it has one in Syria as well, and then as well as a network spanning various countries in between. Um, but those are its two main militant hubs. And um, since the Taliban took power, one of their messaging, one of their core uh, talking points has been that it wants to prevent Afghanistan from becoming a safe haven for terrorist groups and a, a launch pad for international terrorist attacks abroad. So uh, the Turkestan Islamic party has uh, stopped, they stopped, they stopped showing videos of their militants inside Afghanistan for a few months and then recently they started to um, uh, kind of test the waters and so they released um, some videos of their fighters with, without weapons. And then I believe it was yesterday or maybe the day before, they released a video of their fighters heavily armed inside Afghanistan. So we see a shift here. So it, it's unclear if they're, they've been put under check and maybe they're becoming more bold. And uh, the recent uh, UN report stated that they're still training and they still intend to attack China, although it, it's hard to say. Um, how restrained they are uh, under their hosts, the Taliban?
0: Well, yeah, it's a very good question. I think we're all wondering because, of course, the UN and the United States' senior U.S. military officials have stated recently that the that the, the al-Qaeda is on their resurgence in Afghanistan because, of course, the Taliban tolerate al-Qaeda. And in fact, they, they were bosom buddies going way back to the early 1990s. <clears throat> I, I must say, Lucas, that as somebody who worked in counterterrorism, I had this... Um, Kind of contradictory feeling that when it comes to China, and you know as well as I do that China has been threatened. There have been a lot of attacks against Chinese construction workers, especially in Pakistan, uh, in Balochistan, where the Balochistan Liberation Army, the BLA, is, is quite active. I, I part of me can't help but think. Well, given the fact that you've put a million Uyghurs in jail, uh, which you call uh, you know training camps, whatever other bullshit the Xi Jinping government's using. It's a bit of you know you be careful what you wish for. If you start treating people really badly, you're going to invite some kind of a some kind of a reaction, I suppose. I, I guess the other thing that you've been talking a little bit about in, in the Wire wires how the TIP has been very active in neighboring states. So they've been carrying out attacks in Tajikistan. If memory serves me correct, there's been some action in Uzbekistan as well. Do you see perhaps? And again, uh, I don't. I'm not, I know you don't have a crystal ball any more than I do. But do you see these forays as an attempt to see? By the TIP to see if this is a viable strategy to start striking against neighboring states whom they regard as apostate as a way to kind of uh, judge how capable they are in carrying out terrorist attacks outside of their Afghan and Syrian bases?
1: Um, do you mean the ISK, uh, ISKP has been attacking Central Asia?
0: Sorry, didn't, I think I saw Red right Militant Wire that you said that there was a TIP attack, is, or was it ISK in uh, Tajikistan?
1: Uh, It's been ISKP that's been uh, focusing on Central Asia. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, for ISKP, then, is this a way for them to sort of test their mettle in terms of what they can do outside of their base in Afghanistan, then?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I should mention, too, that um, many think of uh, ISKP as an Afghan organization, but in its nascent phase, you know, it it was born out of the AfPak region, and um, it's by its very DNA. A transnational group, and it has a right. transnational vision. So um, what we've seen since the Taliban took power, ISKP has been looking at the Taliban's foreign relations, and anything that strengthens the Taliban is something um, ah. is is negative for ISKP. So they, they look to undermine relations with neighboring states, and they also look to uh, recruit Uzbeks and Tajiks in Afghanistan and around the region. So it's been increasing its, its hostile rhetoric about um, Central Asian states and their leaders, and it's been uh, increasing its explicit threats towards them. So this, um, uh, you can see that it is both looking to recruit and build support with these communities throughout the region, And it's also expressing its transnational character um, in broadening its operational vision and not just its uh, propaganda vision. So it's following through on some of its threats and uh, tough talk, basically.
0: Well, which makes sense, as you said, if they're going to try and impress upon any nation that is willing to talk to the Taliban as the so-called legitimate government of Afghanistan. If you deal with the Taliban, you'll have us to deal with kind of things. So I guess the, you know, the typical terrorist desire, right? If we hit you hard enough, you're going to change your way of doing things. And if there are enough attacks that we carry out on your soil, killing Uzbeks or Tajiks, or whatever, you may, you may in the end of the day decide the Taliban aren't worth talking to because we're in fighting terrorism. Also mentioned as you, as you're well aware, I'm sure, the Uzbek presence in Afghanistan goes back a long way. The, you know, the IMU, the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, is a long-standing terrorist group that you know enjoyed um, sponsorship and and, and and aid and a safe haven in Afghanistan for many years. So, Lucas, militant wire is coming up to its first birthday. Um, it's doing very well. Like I said, I, I, I highly recommend the site uh, to to anybody interested in counterterrorism. Where do you go from here?
1: Uh, we're, we're going to stick to the kind of organizational culture that we've built and we'll keep developing. Uh, we have some pretty interesting um, talks going on about um, expan- uh, different types of expansion. And, um, you know, we're getting more and more writers coming to us wanting to publish with the site. So uh, we're going to, we're going to stick to what, um, what we've been doing as it's proven fairly successful. And um, yeah, basically, it. <laughs> we'll have well, well, to see, I, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, if, I, I think if your first year is any indication, I think that you've definitely hit upon a winning formula. If there's anything that I can do to help promote your site amongst other people, please, uh, you know, don't hesitate to ask me. And uh, good luck with things going ahead in the future. I, I think you've made an, a tremendous uh, start. Uh, I'm pleased as punch to say that a you know a fellow Canadian has help develop this this website into a, a a premier website for for counterterrorism so congratulations on the work and uh I sincerely wish we see a lot more of it in the future thanks a lot phil i appreciate it that was my conversation with Lucas Weber, a uh, New Brunswickian New Brunswegian, I guess is the way the, the, the adjective or noun, about militant wire. As I said, it's, uh, I'll put a link to the website uh, in the notes. It's an amazing website on counterterrorism. Uh, what do you think of our conversation? What do you think of what he had to say about Islamic State in Khorasan and what's happening in Afghanistan? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at Borealis Saves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. you like the content want to get more go to the website borealisthreatenrisk.com hit the subscribe button you get you get free access to all the blogs and all the podcasts you would also see a link there to my latest book the peaceable kingdom a history of terrorism in canada from confederation to the present it's self-published available on the website there's also an amazon kindle version love to hear your feedback as well as ideas for future podcasts we'll talk again soon until then take care